Most people complained about other people complaining. Oh, complaining is so much fun. Why would you want to stop? Exactly, yeah. But I love complaining. <laughs> and the end result is you tend to only see the things that are negative or they come up so much brighter in your awareness. Nicole Esquino. And together we're here as your hosts for a mix of happy hour style venting and results-based coaching. Spark is a judgment-free space where we'll chat about both the brilliant bits of life as well as the bits that are a little more sucky. With lightness, laughter, and the belief that there's no such thing as oversharing, we'll guide you in finding clear paths out of murky messes and toward discovering inspiration in everyday moments. This week we have a special guest, Sienna Stewart. She is the founder of the No project where she's been studying the impact and mechanics of complaining for over a decade. Welcome, Sienna. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. We're so excited to have you on. So why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got to be the like no complaining guru? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it started off by me being the opposite. I was really complaining a lot. And basically, I just got really sick of it. I noticed that I was, even when somebody was trying to say something nice to me, I started complaining back. And it was a lot because I had uh, had a terrible breakup. This particular moment was that I had a terrible breakup months and months before. And, you know, things had gotten better and I put my life back together. But I kind of didn't notice that things were going well. And almost anytime somebody tried to say something to me about my cooking or my job or where I was living, I would start to say something about the place that I used to have or what I had given up or what I had lost. And I just got sick of it. And so I decided that I had to stop complaining and I had a little fight with myself that I cut myself off and said, no more complaining for you. And then I discovered it was really hard to do that. And I couldn't really talk very much. And then I, because I was listening a lot more, I noticed how much other people were complaining and I got really attuned to that and how I would be pulled into complaining or triggered to do it more with certain people. And then I noticed that some, most people complained about other people complaining. (laughs) (laughs) The irony of that. (laughs) I know, but it was also this crazy thing. And, you know, I'm a little bit of a nerd. So I was like, why are people doing a thing that they're also complaining about other people doing? If you don't like doing it and you don't like other people doing it, why is everybody doing it? So then I, got super curious. And that's when I started really studying. And so it took me about three years to kind of get my own habit under control and also figure out a lot of the mechanics about it. And so then I started telling people that I had quit complaining and this is what I learned. And then other people said, that's really cool. And then they would try it. They found it very difficult. And that's when I started teaching. Okay, great. So what is your new venture? You just came out with a new book. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm very excited about the book. Uh, It's called No Complaints, How to Stop Sabotaging Your Own Joy. And my goal was really to create something that was very practical and straightforward and it's kind of like a workshop in a book. It's a summary of a lot of the stuff that I've learned over the last many years, about a decade of doing this. 
along with the workshops that I've been teaching and getting some feedback from people there and seeing what works. So it's, you know, takes you through getting an awareness and understanding of your own complaining habits and other people's complaining habits and why we're doing it gives you some tools for interrupting the habit and just saying like, this is, this is what I want to do and how I'm going to stop it. And then once you've gotten control of that, gives you some tools for stuff you can use to replace it and to make sure that your habit doesn't come back. But more than that, the overall point of this is to move you from complaining to problem solving, from feeling and thinking of yourself and appearing to others like a victim and moving to a place of personal power and productivity and creativity and strength and moving into a place of gratitude and mindfulness. Which is, I know, something that just said. Love it all. And I loved how practical the book is. Like, it is so easy to use, easy to follow, easy to put into action. And I just loved how it was structured. Like, it's just like you said, like a workshop in a book. And that's exactly what it felt like. I love it. That's so great. Yay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's important because sometimes you read books like that where you're you're like, oh, this sounds great. And yeah, oh, I'm pumped. And then like, there's no action behind it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, do this, do this, do this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that was something that I was really trying to, I was paying attention to that with a lot of people around me who read a lot of these books. And I've read, you know, a lot of different books from self-help to neurology to you know, behavioral economics, all these kinds of books. And it's like, oh, that's a great concept. That's a great, okay, what do I do now? Yeah. And I wanted to create something to help in that space. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. so great. So what do you do for a living? Produce events for a living. Oh, cool. So it's, yeah. (laughs) And uh, it's basically like, I have a background in theater. And so that's what I'm basically doing, but on a grand scale. And in between, and with my company support doing the no complaining, we're going to, you know, I'm going to be doing more workshops and talks and and things around this as well. Because I really feel that it helps people. And I want to help as many people as I can. Oh, there's no question in my mind. So we were talking before the podcast started and my friend introduced me to the book um, Complaint Free World years ago. And so for like the last 10 years, we've integrated that into pretty much every training program I've ever done. So I'm super excited to, to integrate yours as well. But it's funny, people are like, why are we starting a yoga teacher training with Complaint Free World? And I'm like, just trust me, <laughs> just trust me, you know? And so, but really any program that I do in my coaching, my wellness and life coaching, my teacher training, anything that this is like a, it's a part of it that you have to do. And it's so interesting how it that in and of itself can change someone's life, you know? Absolutely. One of the things that was the most fascinating to me when I started really paying attention to it is learning all of the reasons that we're complaining, sort of discovering that complaining can be used or is a marker of something else. It's a symptom. It's a habit. And what you're actually doing is you're comparing reality to something else which is kind of funny when you think about it. Almost every complaint can be boiled down in that way. Like, I wish reality wasn't happening. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which is literally what we're saying, right? (laughs) That is literally what we're saying. And it's also fully absurd. So I think that that's one of the ways that I've certainly learned to soften about my complaints or, you know, to crack myself up when I'm feeling that urge, like, oh, really? So what are you going to do instead of reality? What's that going to be? Um, You can't do that. And so then I say, well, what, okay, what am I comparing it to? Because clearly, if I thought that this was fine, then I wouldn't be complaining. 
but there's something that I'm holding up this reality to, some kind of idealized wish. And I can use that moment to say, well, what is that? Is there something there that I can work towards? Is there something there that I need to let go of? Is there something there that, you know, is an unhealthy comparison or a healthy comparison? I use it as a goal or am I just using it as like a self-flagellation whip? You know, so that's the the kind of a moment for me. And it was like, it's more, it becomes more and more powerful the more that I do it. And I learn, you know, oh, here's this emotion that's underlying my complaining. I, I'm feeling lonely right now and complaining helps people, makes other people pay attention to me. Um, or I'm really afraid of getting in trouble. And so now I'm actually blaming other people for what's happening. It's, Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. I, I love studying into our brains and why we do things. So I, I don't even know if this is really in the book or if you know much about it, but do you know much about like the negativity bias? Yes, I do. Okay. I figured that you probably did. You touched <laughs> on that a little bit with another guest. Would you mind sharing just whatever you think would be appropriate or helpful for people? Absolutely. So we tend to see more of whatever we pay attention to. That's the, the overlying thing or the underlying thing behind understanding negativity bias and a lot of other things about our brains. So when we're complaining, one of the things that's happening is we're vocalizing, which also makes it much more tangible to our brains and much more real. We're vocalizing a negative thing. So that makes it more vivid and makes us more aware of it. Now, if we're in a habit of complaining, that means that we're saying these things again and again. And the end result is that you tend to only see the things that are negative or they come up so much brighter in your awareness than anything that's good or even neutral around you. So then the world actually starts to look like it's a terrible place because that's all you're seeing. The truth is that in every moment, good things are happening, bad things are happening, completely neutral things are happening. And we can train ourselves to see or at least be more aware of a wider spectrum of things. But by if we are in this habitual unconscious complaining habit, we really just see this negative bias. And ultimately, that also leads to chronic health conditions. It increases our stress. It makes us anxious. It makes us fearful. And this is something that has a lot of long-term effects. It also has a, an effect on our ability to be creative because the more fearful you are, negative or anxious or stressed out, the narrower your band of attention, which is the exact opposite of what you need when you're actually trying to be creative or even productive. So it has wide ranging implications. And for me, to use complaining as the little hook, as the little marker, it's the beginning of this very long path down which you can go into something very, very bad for you. I love that because that's why it's, it's some people, I remember we'd start doing the complaint free and you wear a bracelet and every time you complain, you have to move the bracelet. So that you have something visual that people see and then they ask you and they say, oh, what is that? And I remember some really snarky friends of mine being like, well, that's a boring life to not complain and you know, this and that. And, <laughs> and it was just so interesting how much resistance there can be to the idea of it. It's like we're attached to our complaints. <laughs> We really are. It's kind of amazing to me how attached we are, actually. A lot of people say, oh, complaining is so much fun. Why would you want to stop? I exactly, yeah. But I love complaining. And then my response is, 
but do you love listening to other people complain? <laughs> yeah. And generally the answer is, oh, no, no way. It's like, well, so then what do you think the person you're talking to is thinking while you're complaining? You might be having a great time, but what about who's listening to you? Yeah, I'm like naturally or I used to be, I, I will say, a naturally negative person, like kind of wake up and just sort of feel like I have to. <laughs> slay the day away. And I always tease that it's my Italian heritage. But um, you know, through, the, <laughs> through the years, I always tell people like doing this kind of consistent work will absolutely help you shift. And it doesn't necessarily mean like you're going to wake up and just be I'm never going to be like Nicole in the morning. I'm never going to be like shiny and bright. Yay. <laughs> you know, but can certainly like start the day differently, or at least notice that like the first thing in my head is something negative, And then it's like, you can catch it right away versus it just snowballing, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that that's a super important point is to get yourself to notice it. And especially first thing in the morning, because it does set the tone for your entire day. I mean, we're really in a, in a culture of complaining and there's a way that complaining or just being negative or snarky or sarcastic has been associated with being smart, where being happy is associated with being naive. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've gone way too far down this path. And it is not at all true. If you <laughs> study other happy people, it doesn't mean that they're dumb. They're not associated. So this, and I'm not about being a Pollyanna and not noticing what's going on in the world, but I'm actually about paying attention to what's really going on, which is a wide spectrum of things and being much more realistically aware of the complexity of life. Yeah. And I think too, like, you know, when, and if people read your book, they'll see too, it's not like you said that it's just let's just focus on all the positive things. I mean, there's ways to deal. We're not like saying don't deal with the bad stuff, you know? Right, right. If anything, I think of this as, I mean, you, you do yoga, so you also know that what you're preparing yourself for and your sort of daily practice sets you up for a future of being able to handle that much more, you know, the more that you train yourself. I think of it as, I call it emotional body fitness, where you have to spend some time every day staying healthy, because at some point, the world is going to smack you around because that's just what happens. We get sick, somebody, you know, like there's just tragic things that show up all the time in our world. And how quickly you can recover from that and how you respond to that or how much it triggers you into depression or anxiety or anger is completely dependent basically on your emotional body fitness, your ability to stay steady or to stay clear-headed, your ability to feel something fully so that you can let it pass through you. I think that's the work of trying to take this on as a daily practice uh, before things go completely haywire. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So speaking of complaints or sucky mm -hmm. things, let's. Uh, I love this because at first, when people are new to the podcast, like, are you focusing on bad stuff? But it's really kind of a fun way to discuss the negative things in life, but from a place of inspiration, right? So mm -hmm. again, noticing that things happen, and then how do we handle them from a more powerful place? So here's our sucky scale, one being kind of sucky, five being super sucky, one, <sighs> two, Three. Seriously? Four. Five. Okay, Sienna, so what do you rate your sucky moment as? 
What number? At the time that it was happening, I'd say it felt like a five. And now I have a little distance. I'm like, it's like a two or a one in the grand scale of things. But at the moment, man, it was overwhelming and I was so angry. (laughs) Okay. So I think we got to give it a five to be fair, right? (laughs) Yeah. I think it's a five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So why don't you share what it is? So it's totally related to the book. I'm a you know, self-published first-time author, and the process of publishing goes well beyond just writing the book. There's all kinds of legal things and ways of trying to get it distributed, and I'm working on trying to get it into bookstores. And there's this thing called the ISBN number, and I just managed to screw everything up so badly that I couldn't release the book on the day that I wanted to release it with a proper ISBN to the bookstores. And I had you know, already delayed the book release. And, and it was just this thing where I was, I had set it up in a way to screw myself over down the path. And so I wanted to rewind back a few weeks and undo a decision I had made. And I was just so, so frustrated and angry. And I couldn't believe that I'd done this, that I'd done this to myself. And I just felt like a complete idiot. And, and also why the hell did I think that I could do this and all of that? Oh man. Okay. So what's your inspired action? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did have to take a pause and say, all right, you know, one, you're trying to do something that's very complicated and just try to learn a little bit of softness for, for me these days, the hardest problem around complaining is my inner critic. And I have a very strong perfectionist streak. And I also have a very strong sort of achiever streak. And they both came into play in this moment where I was super down on myself and this whole inner voice saying, you're such an idiot. And why would you do this? And you should know better and and all of this. And and I just had to take a pause and say, you know, that's not helpful language. (laughs) I have a a way of talking to my inner critic. I was like, yeah, I, I recognize that you're trying to do things so that I don't get hurt by the world or that you're trying to make me be better. But at this moment, you're using very unhelpful language. <laughs> and, and just had to pause for a second and say, yes, you're right. I have screwed this up. In the grand scheme of things, it is not the end of the world. It's a delay. Nobody got hurt. I'm mostly disappointing my own schedule. And what can I learn? I'm learning that I'm trying to do too many things at once, that I need to slow down, (laughs) and that I maybe need to ask for help because that's something I'm generally bad at. So, okay, take a couple of breaths. Who can you call for help? And remember, this is not the end of the world. Nobody got hurt. It's okay. (laughs) Yes, all good lessons. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And I have to remind myself all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay, I think Nicole has some fun questions from the book. Oh, yes. I'm excited to ask too. Uh, So my first one is, uh, speaking of other people complaining, is there a polite way to approach other complainers and kind of call them out in the sweetest way possible, telling them they're complaining (laughs) without putting them in like a negative space about it? I think that that's a very difficult thing that you're asking. And it's also... (laughs) 
it's also one of the most common questions that I get. <laughs> so it sounds like a lot of people in the world and just in terms of the situation that you're thinking of is, you know, you're dealing with somebody who's super negative around you. And basically, like, I can't stand that. So one of the techniques that I've discovered that actually works fairly well is to let the person who's talking know that you've taken on the pledge of no complaining. So, you know, I am working on my own complaining habit. And in this moment, in this conversation, I'm finding myself triggered to want to complain or I'm getting put into a negative point of view. And so I can't handle that right now because it's not supporting this pledge that I've taken to myself. And it's a very difficult thing to say and it interrupts the flow of conversation. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's one of the things about all of this work, but this particular around complaining is I say that it takes courage because you're doing things that are uncomfortable. You're, you're trying to be much more direct in situations where most of us just kind of like laugh it off or just tolerate it. And instead you're going to try to actually take some direct action. Mm, so that's that. the that's the softest way that I've found so far. I love that because my husband is a lot like Angela. He does not wake up with sunshine <laughs> in the morning. Good thing he and I are not married. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he has to let me know in the morning. We don't all wake up in a good mood. So we will be trying some techniques with him, not at him, with him. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and one of the techniques, so you're, you're also mentioning a particular person in a particular place and time. And I invite people to create what I call no-co zones. So I say no-co for no complaining. And if you create no-co zones or no-co times to say, you know, no complaining before we have breakfast. Um, oh, love it. You know, or no complaining at the dinner table or, you know, no complaining while I'm driving. You know, these are sort of these things where you can sort of create bounded places that help to both build an awareness, because you, once you start declaring that, the impulse to complain, you start to get much more aware of when it shows up and of your own complaining habit. And then it just, that awareness just kind of seeps out into the whole rest of your life. Mm. And that's half the battle is becoming aware of it anyway. So I love oh, that. Oh, for sure. For sure. Perfect. Okay. So my next one, and this one was a big one that you spoke through the book about on why small talk is always so negative in our culture. So I'm just curious to your thoughts on why that is and why we feel so easily connected to each other through negative talk and how can we shift that? Absolutely. I do think that I, you put your finger on it with connected. You know, the people really do bond through complaining. I think that there is a way that we as a culture are very uncomfortable saying positive things about ourselves, but we as individuals want to get attention on ourselves. And we also want to know that we're having some kind of shared suffering or something that, that that's a way that we can bond together. And I think that in the extreme, you know, if we, if people go through some kind of tragedy together, then they feel very connected. And the weird expression of that in sort of a daily way is that, you know, even though we're not going through any sort of tragedy, we're still complaining. And it's like, I feel closer to you, or I feel like being vulnerable, but it's actually not vulnerable at all. It's very self-absorbed and by complaining about my world. And, and I'm also talking about myself in a way that's socially acceptable, you know, because I'm not allowed to brag about anything. I just have to, you know, I can complain and that will get your attention on me, but I, I'm not allowed to brag. So I think that these are all kind of habits that we have. Um, and in terms of breaking it, I like to come into situations where people are making small talk through complaining and break the, find other ways to bond with them. 
come up with interesting, fun questions. Like I, you know, one of my favorite questions when I go to uh, cocktail parties or whatever is to, you know, so what are you passionate about? What's exciting to you right now? What's caught your interest, you know, in the last week? And those are questions that are very, they're thought provoking. They're also a little unusual. It makes people pause for a moment and think, but generally they're also not questions that invite you to complain in response. So it's another way of making small talk and bonding over something that people care about instead of about their, our mutual suffering. Mm -hmm. Like the weather. Like the weather. Absolutely. Like the traffic, like all of those things that we're just sort of habitual about it. It's so low yeah. level, you know, I'm like, oh, man, can I just elevate a little bit here? You know, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think, I, you know, I don't know if it's also that, you know, we're just sort of used to like, oh, that's an acceptable topic. And I'm a little bit nervous. And I don't know what else to talk about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you just sort of get used to it. And now that may be how it started. But now you're just like, oh, this is what I do. I I show up at a party and I talk about the weather and it's like, well, we can actually talk about something else that may be more fun. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm going to interject a different kind of question in here, something that I am kind of working through right now, and I'm sure many people are. So with the political landscape right now, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> yes, that's really it. That's my question. But so <laughs> that, That's all we have to say. Um, no, so for me, I'm... I like to be really informed. I'm a self-proclaimed political junkie. I love to watch, you know, all these shows. I like to stay informed. And so a lot of people are like, well, you need to just step back because it's just pissing you off. And I'm like, well, stepping back is fine to an extent, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be in a place where I'm not being active and I don't want to be complicit, you know? So Agreed. how do you advise people to be in that space? Because it is literally like I have a heart attack every single time I turn on my phone and almost daily, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I pay attention to, I'm also, a, some of my background is in filmmaking and story writing and stuff. And so one of the things that I pay attention to is what are the techniques being used by the person who's giving me the news and also to pay attention to what are the things that I am making more vivid in my mind and more emotionally salient to my heart based on how I'm taking in the news or taking in information. So I am totally with you. And I, you know, I don't want to be unaware of what's happening. I want to be aware of what's happening. But I also don't want to trigger myself into consistent anger or fear <laughs> or something or get my heart racing because it's, you know, at like eight o'clock or six o'clock in the morning or whatever, when I, you know, I turn on my phone or so one of the things that I've done to kind of strike that balance is I seek out longer form, more in-depth analysis-based articles or podcasts or something to give me the information in a way that's more thoughtful and less headline-based mm -hmm. because that way, and also more nuanced, you know, it's this more depth to the analysis and, and much more, just a better pacing for my intellectual brain to get engaged without making my heart race so much. And it means that I can know what's happening, but I also don't have to freak out every minute of the day. So that's a very important thing. Like when you, if you are watching television news and now even a lot of like the radio sort of short form news updates, there's the way that they're writing is meant to captivate your imagination. And they're also often using music and particular terminology that's all super emotional. And 
we then get into this, um, there's another, there's a bias about in our minds that the most recent thing that we can recall, the things that, that are easiest for us to remember, to us seem like they're happening more often because that's just, it's called the availability bias. And, you know, it's like when you think about like, oh, I'm thinking about buying a new car. And then you start looking around, it's like, suddenly it seems like everybody has the car that you just bought. You know, yeah. you suddenly see it totally. everywhere. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird, right? And it's like, oh, I didn't think that everybody had this car. Well, it's called the availability bias. And it means that you are paying attention to something because it's the most recent thing on your mind. And that means that it's that much more prevalent you in the world as if there's more cars of that kind than there were the day before, which is not true, but it's the way that it feels. <laughs> and the same thing happens with the news, you know, so if we're hearing and reading a particular kind of news story, or we're hearing the same news story repeated through multiple channels, then it feels like whatever is the content of that news story is the only thing that's happening in the world, or it's happening so much more than it's ever happened before. And, you know, the statistical information is it's not happening more than before. Actually, it, overall, so many parts of the world are much less violent than they've ever been. Or, you know, there's a lot of, you know, good trends out there, but we don't see that because it's not what we're being fed and what we're emotionally resonating with. Yeah, I think that's, I love everything you just said. I think that's really important. And I think I need to probably stop watching CNN is the, the lesson there. But um. <laughs> they're very good. Yeah, they're very good filmmakers at CNN. And they're very good heart racers. And I love a lot of what they do. But man, I can't take it without getting completely flipped out. I know. Well, and the other thing that I know a lot of people are struggling with, and certainly myself, is, you know, the level of discourse has gotten so negative and just, I mean, so exactly opposite of everything we're talking about from our leaders and from like, you know, the person that is supposed to be seen as like, you know, the leader of the free world. And so, you know, I think that is so challenging because it almost for some people gives them permission to take down the level of discourse, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do. And it, I find it heartbreaking yes. and super frustrating. And I, I have to remind myself that not everybody is talking that way. Yeah. And again, it's, it's, a, it's a consciousness thing. It's a thing of being aware of what you're reacting to and the content of it, and then stepping back for a moment and saying, is that all there is? Or is that simply the brightest thing in my field of vision right now? Yeah. And then if you can step back far enough away, you're widening your field of vision. You're like, oh, no, that's actually not the only thing out there. It's it's just one of the things. If I step keep stepping back, I'll let more voices in and I'll get to see that there's there's still hope. There's still thoughtful, intellectual, caring, hardworking people out there. And there's a way to say, yeah, I think, you know, I don't have to say that the entire world is falling apart, but I do have to work against the parts that are falling apart. Yeah, that makes sense. And also, I think it, that this kind of work even so much more important for each of us individually, because, you know, there's so many more of us, right? So like, yes, we yeah. collectively can make such a difference in our daily lives. And then that permeates throughout. And then hopefully, eventually, we'll get to the White House. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Fingers crossed. <laughs> okay. Enough about politics, but that's just really present for me. And I thought it was, it was related. So <laughs> yes, it definitely is related. I even got to the point where I was like, oh, should I really be doing this? You know, this is such a minor thing in the grand scheme of things. Then I thought about it. No, actually, this is not at all a minor thing. This is actually about getting people to stop just sitting back and complaining about what's happening in the world and actually step forward and start to take action on it. And to 
spread this awareness and like you say the sort of there's more of us and there's going to be even more of us if we can you know let's make the whole world a no-co zone that would be great I know, you know, and I, I love like, I know we say, well, we love negativity, but we're also very drawn to people that are positive, you know, yeah. I think in the end, we all want to be happy. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and it is true that, you know, you kind of think about it and we are drawn to positive people. And ultimately, if somebody is too negative over time, they start to get more isolated. They get invited to, you know, parties less or dinner less, or they, you know, people kind of shun them even subtly. And, uh, you know, to me, that shows that while we say that we think that, oh, cynical people are so much smarter, or, you know, I respect them so much, but it's not necessarily like you want to hang out with them on the weekend when you want to have a good time, Mm -hmm. you know? And you're not going to end like, oh, let's take a vacation and bring along, you know, the dour person. You want to, <laughs> you want to, you, you, you actually want to fill your life with people who are happy and make you feel good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have time for just a couple more questions. I know Nicole has oh, yeah, about a special word that we just learned. Yes. So I saw in your book the word <laughs> pronoia. Oh my gosh. Love this one. <laughs> I have never heard of it. And I just think it's the coolest thing ever. So it's basically the opposite of paranoia is what I'm understanding. And it is essentially how I took it is that everyone in the world I run into is there to help me and wants the best for me. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's a it's an amazing thing to start imagining, you know, other people want the best for you. Because, you know, paranoia, you're imagining that other people are out to get you. The key word in both of those things is that you're imagining. You don't actually know what people are thinking. Like you show up in a grocery store, you have no idea what everybody else in the store is thinking. So you could just imagine like, what if they all wanted the best for you? Just project that into their head since you are making up whatever it is anyway. Well, that's true. (laughs) That's so true. Yeah. (laughs) I'm totally channeling it because this is like the coolest word ever. (laughs) Pronoia is great. As soon as I learned it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. It's great. Yeah, I didn't invent the word. It's out there in the literature. And I, I just think it's fantastic. And especially, you know, if any of your listeners have social anxiety, this is one of the best ways to try to get over that because a lot of what you can be aware of in social anxiety is the fact that you are imagining what's going on around you. And that's, that's what makes being in groups really, really hard and stressful is because you think that they're judging you. But what if you just imagine that they're cheering you on instead? Oh, yes. That's so beautiful. I love that. So before we do our try this, do you have any like finishing thoughts or things we didn't discuss that you'd love to share? I think the main thing for me is to know that this is a daily practice and that it's not like, oh, you quit complaining and everything changes around you instantly, but it really has amazing long-term effects. And if you can take this on and do it a little bit every day and just get a little bit more aware and see how you're talking with different people, all that kind of stuff, it just spreads out through your entire life. And it really can it affects all your relationships. It, it affects your health. It can affect your creativity. It can affect your life at work. You know, there's so many different ways that this little thing that I, I use, you know, but complaining is so common that it's a really great reminder. Like you were talking about the bracelet from the complaint free world. Well, this is, this is like a little audio trigger that you can, Oh, I can hear this happening. And instead of getting triggered by it, I can use it as a reminder for the things that I really want to experience in the world and the ways that I want to be in the world. 
Yes. I love that. Yeah. Asking yourself, like, who do you want to be? That's always powerful for me because I'm like the snarky person that I'm being right now, or I don't want to be this negative person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Awesome. Okay. So can you give our listeners something tangible? We call it a try this, something that they can Mm -hmm. try this week. Yeah. So since I, my main focus is on people dealing with their own complaining habits, one of the best things to try is if you catch yourself complaining, because we all do, when you catch yourself complaining, think about the person you're talking with and imagine from their point of view how they're perceiving you at that moment. What's the impression of you that they're getting? And even more than that, if you can take it one step further, imagine from their point of view, what is it that they want to be talking about? If they you know, wonder, are they having a good time in this conversation? Is this something that makes us feel closer to each other? And just asking yourself that, you know, most of the time, no, this isn't the conversation they want to have. I can think of something else that we want to talk about. And then you can actually try to shift into that conversation or just call yourself out and just say like, oh, I think I'm complaining again. Sorry about that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Right. So simple. Yeah, just simple. All right. So I love your shout out. And I know you picked two. (laughs) And then I picked this one for you because everyone in my current teacher training is obsessed with this item. And I do not have one. So I want to hear. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this word. Okay, so what does your shout out go to? (laughs) Oh, I just had to say the instant pot. It's like kind of my silly shout out, but it's so great. This is this one kitchen tool that does many, many things. You know, it's a slow cooker. It's a pressure cooker. It's it, like a stovetop pressure cooker, only it doesn't explode and it turns itself off. And uh, it's also can be a rice cooker and all these different things. So one of the things that's true for me, especially when I'm writing, or, you know, I'm running around my house by myself and, you know, trying to take care of a million things. As I told you at the beginning, I'm trying to take care of too many things at once. So it's key for me to have kitchen appliances that turn themselves off. <laughs> <laughs> but in addition to that, I know that I like to eat healthy foods and I want to try to eat as many whole foods as possible that are actually that I know what all the ingredients are going into them. But sometimes that just takes a long time to actually cook, you know, especially if you're doing any beans or anything that takes a lot of soaking. With the Instant Pot, because it's a pressure cooker, means that you can cook a lot of that stuff a lot more quickly. So both facilitating my trying to get a lot of things done and also eating healthy and it'll turn itself off at the end if I forget what the <laughs> heck I'm doing. So it's great. Plus the, it's, it's just so tasty. And then a secondary shout out is, you know, I had an actual problem with my instant pot and it stopped working. And then I discovered just how hooked I was because I was like, Oh my God, it's broken. So a secondary shout out is to the instant pot customer service because they were (laughs) on it and they were like, Oh yeah, here you go. Just send us this, these photos and then, you know, we'll take care of it. So thank you. Instant pot customer service. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a good product and good customer service. You're right. (laughs) I I cannot tell you, everyone at the yoga sport right now is obsessed with the Instapot. So it's definitely a trend. So we'll post it in the show notes. We'll post a link so you guys can see it. And uh, I I have two friends who are actually for their driving Christmas vacations with their families. They took their Instapot with them. That's hardcore. It's hardcore. I'm not quite there yet. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So how can our listeners find you? I have a website. 
gonoco.com, G-O-N-O-C-O.com. And we're also on Facebook at No Complaining Project. And I am on Twitter. My name's Sianna, C-I-A-N-N-A. But they're really the best sources to go to gonoco.com. I've got a bunch of free resources there. You can order the book there. You can just get started on No Complaining and have a lot. And I'm also always excited to get questions. So if people have specific things that they want an article on or, you know, something, I will do my best to answer whatever questions. Oh, that's so great. Yes. And we'll post all your information in our show notes too, you guys. This is just look up episode 54 and we'll put it all in there. Well, thank you so much for being a guest with us. We've had so much fun today. Absolutely. Thank you. This was really, really fun. Yes. And, we'll and thank you for touch. all that you do. I've been enjoying listening to the podcast and you've got so many great tips out there. And it's always, always great to meet other like-minded people who are helping the world. Yes. One podcast at a time, right? <laughs> one, <laughs> one, at a time. one book at a time. One, that's how it happens. That's true. It's so true. great. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Spark. If you have a few extra minutes, please do an act of kindness and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and share this episode with your friends. It really helps us out. And especially if you have those negative friends, this might be a great one to get them started on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You can find the show notes and blog posts at AngelaWagnerCoaching.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Coach A. Wags. Please share suggestions, comments, pictures, and questions with us on social media. Remember this week to take the time to give thanks, raise a glass, and discover what it is that sparks you. 